If you will, this morning, turn with me to our text. It's found in Luke 22. It's Luke 22, verse 32. The text reads this way. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Let us pray. O Lord, how great Thou art, how faithful Thou art, the loving Lord Thou art. I thank Thee, Lord, that Thou hast brought us here again this week, preserved us, preserved the right to stand and to preach the gospel, and the right to be here and assemble to hear it. We thank Thee, Lord, for that tender mercy. We thank Thee, Lord, for Thy tender mercies that attend us every day of our lives, the ones You reveal, the ones that we don't see knowing, Lord, that Thou have hedged us about, that Thou hast watched over Thy people, that You provide for us every day of our lives. Oh, Lord, I pray this hour You would come, come to our souls, subdue the flesh, subdue the mind, and bring us captive to Thy feet, to be instructed, Lord, that we may hear Thy voice, and that You would nurture our souls speak to our hearts Lord you lead us to thee for this I ask in Jesus name Amen the things that stand out to me in our text this morning is of course the Lord's intercession that he makes for his people the Lord's keeping of how he keeps his people the Lord's perseverance and resolve And what he says he will do, he does. The Lord's provision that he makes for us. The text this morning in verse 32 is connected to verse 31. When the Lord said to Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Satan is a very powerful adversary. He's one that can morph into many different ways. He can come as an angel of light. He can come as a roaring lion. Both very hard to detect. In fact, impossible to detect unless the Lord reveals that's what that is. Jesus says something here to Peter. He says that he may sift you as wheat. The reference is to the threshing floor of how they had a sifter. And they put the grain into the sifter and it would shake violently. And uh, two people would come up and they'd shake it violently and all the chaff would rise to the top. That's the devil's design in our life. To shake us violently that the flesh and all the impurities and all the chaff will come to the surface. And his hope and his desire is that those things wreck us and kill us and slay us. And those things take over us. That's what Jesus said to Peter. That's the warning that he gave to Peter. And all the gifts that the Lord gives his people, they're tried this way. 
They're tried when Satan comes. And, and the very thing that Jesus tells us in our text is he mentions faith. And that's something Satan direly wants to get at. Your belief in the finished work of Christ. Your belief in Christ being your all in all. Your belief that Christ has accomplished and He is the power and He is the life of your soul. And Jesus tells us in our text today, He begins the text with an overruling proposition. But this is what Satan wants. This is what Satan's desire is for you, Peter. Peter representing all of the children of God. As we read on, if you don't identify with Peter, if you don't identify with his fall, you haven't been revealed sin. You haven't been revealed the depth of sin. Peter really gets a bad rap. He, he's always made fun of because he's the spokesman. He's the one who's always out there and he says things sometimes that aren't that we would sit back and go, oh, well, I wouldn't say that, Peter. But none of us in here, or no one, I hope, can question the love that Peter had for Christ. Jesus says something here to Peter to reveal something to him. He says, I've overruled what Satan has said, or Satan's device and Satan's plan for you to sift you as wheat to bring that chaff up, to bring everything up, to, to destroy you. I've overruled that. As the great high priest, I have interceded for you. I have prayed for you. And you know, that's all that really matters, dear ones. If our king and priest and prophet has prayed for us, we're eternally kept. He has prayed for thee. He has prayed for thee, Peter. That's the only remedy there is. That's the only remedy and how we can withstand the wicked one is that the Lord has prayed for us. In John 17, 11, in the priestly prayer, he says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. It's union. There's a reason we say it's a vital union. Because without that union, we're not kept. Without that union, we're suffered. We're in dire straits. He is the keeping power. He is the life. He is the intercession. He is the one interceding for us right now. He has kept us. He has assured us of this vital union and will assure us by that one little word, I. I have prayed for thee. You know, I, I always appreciate when I'm going through something or 
And the brethren say to me, you've been in my prayers. It means a lot. I know that they're before the throne asking the Lord to intercede on my behalf. And that is what we're instructed to do for one another. But the prayer of Christ, the prayer to the Father of Christ, the interceding of Christ, is what we stand in dire need of in this hour, the hour to come, and every hour in our life. But I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And isn't it interesting that he used this terminology? Faith. The one thing in this life, while we walk upon this earth, the one thing, the one gift that brings us to Christ, the one that credits who Christ is, the one that says to us, I believe, I hope, I love, because faith tells us what Christ has done for us. Faith preserves us. Faith overcomes, we're told. And we're told in Hebrews 12, 2a, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the beginner. He is the ender. He is the one of all in between to sustain us. Paul said he lived by the faith of the Son of God. That faith was real to Paul because he knew it wasn't his. It was given to him. It was a power greater and that's something Peter at this moment doesn't know. It's something Peter must be shown. It's something Peter's about to experience. And I believe all of the Lord's children are brought through it to see that our faith cannot withstand the wiles of the devil. Our faith cannot sustain or go through the attacks of the wicked one. Our faith is like that house that's built upon the sand. And Peter has it. He has a faith here. He says, this is what I'll do. And we all say that. We all have a, an unction or desire to follow the Lord. But without this faith, this, this intercessory Lord to come and to, to take over our life with His faith. The faith that keeps, the faith that leads to His feet. The faith that settles. The faith that subdues. And this faith, this faith always goes hand in hand with repentance. Always works with repentance. Because as we're led to Christ, we see how far short we have fallen to Him. We see, and the Holy Spirit reveals and convicts us of our sin. And faith brings us to see the blood of Christ. Faith brings us to see that the Lord says, 
thou art forgiven. Oh, he's prayed for us that our faith fails not. Jesus has everything in himself to plead for us on our behalf. That's what an intercessor is. He's not pleading for a faith that's outside of himself. He's not pleading for a love that's outside of himself. He's not pleading for a preservation that's outside of himself. It's all contained in the Son of God. So we have good authority when we hear these words and the Holy Spirit ministers to us that He has prayed for us. We have good authority that His prayer is effectual and is answered and is heard and is powerful and it keeps and it preserves. when thou art converted. Well, we would be ridiculously naive if we thought that Peter wasn't regenerated at this time or wasn't converted, so certainly that's not the word used here. Peter was brought to say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus even told him, The Father has revealed that to you. Peter had left everything to follow Christ, and I think... You know, as he left his profession, Peter was a a very good fisherman and had a very good business. And the Lord called him. And the Lord, when he made that difference in Peter's life, he didn't sit down and count the cost of what he was going to lose. He went and followed the Lord, which is a true mark of the Lord's work in the soul. He said to Peter, when thou art converted, when you're turned, that's what conversion means. It means turned from or delivered out of. So, and I want you to hear the resolve and the promise of love that Christ says to Peter. This hasn't happened yet. The fall has not happened yet. It hasn't begun yet. The backsliding for Peter has not yet begun. It hasn't been lived out But Jesus looks at him out of love and he says to him, when you are converted, when you're turned from self, when you're turned from your understanding, you're going to see that. When you're turned from that, then and only then can you strengthen the brethren. Can you be an instrument in the brethren's life? Can you be one that I use to preach the gospel? One that I use who's been humbled, who's, been ex- who's experienced everything that's in me. That's what Peter needed to have. That's what Peter needed to see. Jeremiah in Lamentations 5.21 said, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. He's speaking of a backsliding people who once were following the Lord. And he says, Lord, the only way we're going to be turned is if you turn us. Peter has to be shown that. Because Peter's full of zeal. 
And Peter's full of obedience. His own. And therein lies the problem. If you hear Christ say to you, if you love me, keep my commandments, and you immediately think that's you, you're in trouble. You're right where Peter is. You're falling. You're backsliding. And when he says to him, when you are converted, when you're turned from those ideas, when you're, turn, when you're humbled, when I reveal to you the depth of what my death and resurrection means for you, then and only then can you strengthen the brethren. Can you preach the, the gospel? Asaph in Psalm 80, in verse 3, in verse 7, and in verse 19. All three of them are identical. And he says these words, Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. We shall experience salvation, Lord, when you turn us to your face. When you turn us to your way. When you turn us to your life. In many ways, I'm describing mortification. I'm describing how the Lord puts down and how He raises up, how the Lord increases and how we decrease. And as you'll see in a few minutes, it's nothing that lies in us. Well, Peter, when, when you're converted, and that's an absolute. You see that? It's not if you're converted. It's not, hey, Peter, if things go right later and you repent and you obey, then, then feed my brethren. No. He says, when, when thou art converted. It's an absolute. It will take place in the Lord's time. Peter doesn't understand that. Only then will he be able to be right, to experience the righteousness of Christ and not his own, the love of Christ and not his own, the faith of Christ and not his own. And we know we know that this takes place. We know because of the sermon that Peter preached in Acts 1 and 2. We know that the Lord used him mightily. We know that the Lord speaks to Peter. We know that his promise is kept because as he preached, the Lord added 3,000 people to the church. We know that in Peter's epistles, the Lord was faithful to bring forth this as truth. He prophesied of it and he brought it forth as truth. Because Peter would write the two epistles, which is how we'll end today, looking at some of the things that the Lord used him to write. The power of the Holy Ghost. Peter, when you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. Then we have the fall begins. Jesus says this prophecy... He says to Peter, this is what's going to take place. You will be converted from the way that you will walk. And Peter has no idea because Peter's full of zeal. 
And Peter says this, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready. I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. I have went away from my family life. I have followed you everywhere. I have loved you, Lord. You know that I love you. I'm going to keep your commandments. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. There's no way that anything on this earth is going to separate me from following you. Hold your finger here because we're going to come right back and and turn over to Matthew 26 because this is the way it's written there. After Jesus says to him in 32, he says, But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. I won't be offended, Lord. Everyone else can scatter. And and that's what Jesus just said. And the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Peter looks and says, All of them can be. All of them will be. But I love you more. Jesus will ask him that three times later. Lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me more than the disciples do? Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, this very night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me three times. Peter said unto him, Now think about this. This is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that Peter says he lives by, that Peter says he follows, and immediately he discounts them. Because see, self is that strong. Self-will. I can obey, Lord. He said unto him, Though I shall die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. They were all in agreement. None of us are going to scatter, Lord. I mean, we followed you this far. Why would we turn back? We go back to our text where he said, Peter said in 33, he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And then Jesus said, and he said, I I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall crow this day before thou will deny, thou, before that thou shalt deny, thrice deny that thou knowest me. You're going to deny me three times. Not once. Not once. Twice. Three times. Peter, you said you wouldn't do it one time. See, Peter, Peter doesn't know his depravity. Peter doesn't realize the depths that we can go. Guys, this is in religion. This is in religion. I'll follow you, Lord. I'll do everything you say. This isn't in debauchery, which certainly we have that nature. This isn't in renouncing Christ. This is in zeal for Christ. And I'm not here to debate Peter's love for the Lord. I I believe he loved him with all his heart. I believe this was genuine. I know why, because I've done the same thing. I've said the same thing. Lord, I couldn't do that. 
I can't, if I was in that situation, that, I wouldn't do that. I'd like to think that. But see, we're thrusted right upon our Savior's keeping. And our old nature doesn't like that because we like to be in control. We like to have a say in things. Even when we come to the Word, we got to have ourselves, we got to interject the creature in it. Jesus didn't tell us that these scriptures speak of all of us. He said they speak of me. They testify of me. They don't testify of you and I. They testify of Christ. And if we be in Christ, they testify of us in Christ. Not out of Christ. Not in our old nature. Not in the things that we conform and and bring up in our mind. This is a very deep, deep passage. So the fall has begun. The backsliding has begun. And we know what happens now. The Lord will go to the farce of a trial that he had. He'll... um, It's interesting. I'll make this one side note too. This is very interesting. You know, Peter denied Christ three times. But I want you to understand this today too. Peter would have never got in there to deny Christ if one of his brethren didn't let him in. Let that sink in. Sometimes we can be led away by those that we love that are near us. It's imperative that we hear the shepherd's voice. It's imperative. John didn't know any better. The other disciple that was known, he he let Peter in the door. He didn't know any better. Why would Peter go and deny Christ? Nobody would think of those things. They've all scattered now. They've all went their way. What must be going through Peter's mind? Is it shame? But it's conflicted. He's shameful for what he did, but he wants to find out what happened to Christ, so he wants to go. This prophecy still hadn't been fulfilled. He still doesn't know how far his depravity can take him. He's got a zeal. And then we know three different people say to him, aren't you the one that was with him? And he denied. So let's pick up in verse 60 on the third denial. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. This is the third one who came to him. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. That's the third time. Now, I don't even pretend to know what happens now in Peter's mind. All I can do is testify of my own when the Lord says to me, Thou art the man. There's shame. There's a hatred for what was done. There's a desire not to do it again. There's a betrayal. I feel like I've betrayed the Lord. And after the cock crew, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Oh, what's in a look? I've I've even heard some say that 
this look was to remind Peter of, of how, how he treated the Lord. This is a look of love. Faith and repentance always work together. Peter's faithless at this time. Or he's exercising his own. I mean, he certainly came there. He certainly is looking for Jesus. And he's going in some kind of obedient whatever it is. But it isn't the Lord's. Because he denies him three times. And the Lord turned and he looked upon Peter. And immediately, it's like that one that was slopping the hogs. and Oh, my father has bread. The prodigal. Same here. Peter sitting there and the Lord looked upon him. And in that look, he looked right into his soul. He looked right into Peter's soul. You know what he granted him? Love and repentance. How do I know? As Peter remembered the word of the Lord. He remembered the word of the Lord. That's how we remember. The Holy Spirit quickens to us the word of the Lord. That's what comforts us. That's what does bring us to repentance. That's what's the healing process is the word of the Lord. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. That's the soul in angst. That's the soul, and I've betrayed my Lord. What is the difference between Peter and Judas? They both betrayed Jesus, and they both cried afterwards. I'll tell you what the difference is. The Lord prayed for one of them. One of them is the Lord's child. One of them is His sheep. One of them that he has clutched in his hand and no man could pluck him from his hand. Peter was eternally kept. Remember what Jesus said in our text. Remember what he said. When you are converted, when you are taken back from the way that you're going in self, in your zeal, in your obedience, in your knowledge, Peter, when that happens, and only when that happens, strengthen the brethren. Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Conviction. Love shown to him. Agony of the soul. What's going through his mind? Sorrow. Depression. Which is very real. It's an absence of the face of the Lord when you don't see it. It's an absence of light and all you see is the darkness. He wept bitterly. And then the next time, the next time we hear anything about Peter, he's running to the empty tomb. He's running toward the one that he betrayed. What happened? The Lord kept him. The Lord preserved him. The Lord showed him nothing, Peter, can separate you from my love. Nothing. Not even a denial three times. 
the Lord would then go on and ask Peter three times, Lovest thou me more than these? You said you did. And if you do, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. What is your calling, Peter? To preach the gospel. Do you love me? Peter finally got kind of exasperated. Lord, you know I love you. And I tell you what, there is no way. If you know anything about depression, if you know anything about our, our fallen minds, there's no way to get from here weeping bitterly to Lord, thou knowest I love you without his love. That blood that covers sins, that's the love that he, that he laid down his life. The love that he went to the cross for me. That's the love that he works in our souls. That's the love that he gives us that works with faith. To believe. To trust. To hope. Christ proved his love in Peter. Peter looked at the Lord and said, Lord, y'all know us, I love you. And to be able to say that, like I said, he had assurance. Assurance of Christ in Him, the hope of glory. And then we know after that, then we meet Peter behind closed doors. We meet Peter being raised up to preach a gospel sermon. And he preached to people and told them the reason why Jesus, it was your sin, it was the sovereign God who brought all these things together, and he preached about the salvation of only being in Christ and no other man, no other thought, nothing. This is the same one who said back here, Lord, this is what I'll do. I'll do this. I'll never deny you. I'll never go anywhere. That's, that's who I am. I, I will not... I can be somebody in your kingdom. I could be a great preacher. I could do all these things. The Lord says, oh no, you can't. Not until you're converted. Not until you're turned from that thought. It's mortified and put down and Christ reigns in your heart and in your soul. thought I'd end today with just a, I know, you know, that the two epistles of Peter are, are way too big. I don't plan on reading them all. I just want to, I want to highlight on a couple of things as we walk through. Just a couple of things in light of our text. Because now we see later that the Holy Spirit, through Peter, we see Peter learn these things. We see these are the things the Lord taught him. And we start right in verse 5 of 1 Peter, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What, Peter? I mean, how are we kept? I, I thought we had as... No, we're only kept by the power of God. He showed me that. When I was converted, now I can, now I can write. Now I can strengthen the brethren. Are you strengthened when you read that? Are you strengthened when you read that we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation? 
Amen. Verse 7, he tells us something about the trials that we're going through and that we do go through. The trial of our faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. When he was brought through that and the Lord looked upon him, this is exactly what he went through. Brought through the fire, I, be, I betrayed Christ, I did this, and the Lord revealed his face to him. How else could he run to the tomb? How else could he do the things that he did? How else could we see the love of Christ in peace? Oh, the trial of your faith ends to the glorifying and the appearing of Jesus Christ. Christ is the end of the trial. Christ is. Look over at 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. You know, I, I believe Peter was revealed the great redemption and forgiveness and that Christ died for him. And, and now he's saying all the silver and the gold can't save us. And, and all the things that we say we could do or will want to do or can do or should do, that can't save us. We're not redeemed that way from our vain conversation. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, those things that are passed down, the things that we keep uh, repeating, the things that we live by, the things we read in books, the things... We're not saved by that. We sure aren't revealed Christ's blood in that. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's one thing that the Lord revealed to Peter, the sacrifice of himself, but the purity of it. The purity of it. The purity of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's perfect obedience. It has to reveal to us Christ's perfect obedience. And sometimes when we hear those things about obedience and we know it's true. The children of God have to obey. They have to. They do. I guess that's a better way to say it. They do. They do by a power. The power of Christ in them. Peter shows it. That's, that's what today shows us. He, oh Lord, I, I don't need that. I, I can do this. No, you can't. When Jesus taught them of being the vine and they were the branches. He told them, no more can ye. No more can you abide outside of me. You've lived too long that way in your own knowledge, in your own way, in your own way you think that this is the way that you're saved and this is the Christian life. No. No, no, no. Without me, you can do nothing. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen the church, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness. You don't think Peter was in darkness? Oh, absolutely. That's what, that's what, he's, he's 
he's now writing and, and saying, this is, this is the Lord's church has been called out of darkness, the darkness of self, into his marvelous light. That's what we talked about last time. He is the light to dispel all darkness. Look at the end of this chapter, 21 through 25. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us. He was there. He saw it. He saw Christ suffering, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Well, you think, does that mean we're all supposed to be suffer that way on the cross? And no, that's not what He's saying. Listen, he's, He did no sin. Neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. And they did too. They mocked Him and reviled Him. And he was a lamb that went to the slaughter. And he uttered no words. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. Oh, to be enabled to commit ourselves to the one who judges righteously. Let every man's judgment be made. It doesn't matter. Make any accusation you want to make. It doesn't matter. When the righteous judge says to me, you are forgiven. My blood has covered the multitude of sins. You are my redeemed. That's all that matters. That's life. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Bore our sins in his body. That we being dead to sins... That made us dead to sin. The power of sin has no control over our soul. None. We should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. By His crucifixion. By His resurrection. Not by ours. For ye were a sheep going astray. Well, Peter knows that, doesn't he? I said at the beginning, can you identify with the Apostle Peter? Yeah. Yeah. But we're now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. That's the one that leaves the ninety and nine and goes out and gets the sheep. We wander a lot, too. We wander a lot. Chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ has also suffered once for sins. That was important, wasn't it? The time he lived in, and man wanting to make, still wanting to make more, more sacrifices and will worship and do. Well, it's important for our day too. We can't keep crucifying the Lord. He died once for our sins, and it's the Holy Ghost that comes and reveals that to us over and over and applies the blood, washes us in the blood. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, there's no other way to get there. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. We can't go before God without the Son. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Over, turn over to 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Don't think it's strange that you're going through 
this trial that the Lord has brought into your life. Of course, we do think it's strange when we're in it. But, and we certainly don't do what 13 says, but rejoice. Usually not till it's over or if the Lord reveals himself in, the, in that trial, that he's the end of that trial and he's the, he's the way out. But rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Exceeding joy is how the Lord reveals himself to us at the end of the trial. And of course, 5, 10, and 11. But the God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, that's our lot in this life, to suffer. And you know that. We suffer because of who we are, because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. We're going to suffer at the hands of the world because of that. We certainly suffer at the hands of our flesh. We suffer at the hands of the wicked one. There's a lot of suffering. But the God of all grace, who's called us to eternal glory, that's past the suffering, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, He makes you perfect. He conforms you to His image, establishing you upon the rock, upon Himself, strengthening you in himself and settling you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Just a couple in Second Peter. Look at 2.9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Sometimes when we're, when we're in a situation that we're in and it's going on a while. We're just sitting there shaking our heads saying, man, I wish this was over. I wish this feeling was gone. I wish it was removed. And that's because we forget this in our short-sightedness, that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. He knows how. He knows the perfect time. He knows what He's brought into your life, and He knows how to remedy it. He knows what, how you're going to grow in Him. He knows the knowledge He's about to impart in you in that growth. That's what He knows. And He certainly knows how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Once again, not outside of His will and His power. Turn over to three, last two. Look at nine. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. And He isn't. I hope, I hope He impresses that upon you this morning. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Peter, when you are converted, He wasn't slack concerning that promise. Peter was used to strengthen the brethren. I hope you want to strengthen the brethren. I hope you want to be a help in the brethren's life. But the Word of God tells us the only way you can is to be emptied of self. And to have that sacrificial love that only Christ has. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but He is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As I said, faith, repentance. That us is the church. He's not. He's long-suffering toward us. Praise be to God that He is. 
I know that's not a quality that we have. It's a gift of the Lord to suffer long, as all of His gifts are. And then I'd end you today with the very last verse, the very last thing that Peter says in the written epistles. But grow in grace. His desire for the people of God. To grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not the knowledge of this world. Not the knowledge of your job. Not the knowledge of what's going on in the world. But growing in grace is growing in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory. Amen. Both now and forever. Lord, add thy power and thy clarity. Humble us before thee, O Lord. Fill our souls with thyself. Reveal to us, Lord, that thou art our great high priest. For this I ask in Jesus' name.